This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. You're listening to the Happy as a Mother podcast. Today, we are welcoming Dr. Jennifer Lincoln to the show. Dr. Jen is a board-certified OB-GYN who practices in Portland, Oregon, and she's also a certified lactation consultant. You may know her from her viral TikToks or her informative Instagram posts, and today she's here to talk to us about substances in pregnancy and nursing. And by substances, I'm referring to the use of alcohol during pregnancy and nursing, and also cannabis and CBD oil or THC derivatives in pregnancy and nursing. I don't know about where you're located and where you live, but this is becoming a particularly hot topic in Ontario and the Toronto area where I reside due to the legalization of marijuana. And so as providers in the healthcare space, it is really important that we have these evidence-based conversations about what we're seeing the data reveal about the use of such substances in pregnancy and nursing. Dr. Jen's realist, inclusive approach is exactly what we needed to have this really delicate conversation today. So get ready, tie up those shoes, put in those earbuds, whatever it is that you're on the move doing today, and tune into my conversation with Dr. Jen. Hey mama, Erica here. When we let resentment build, we find ourselves becoming more and more irritable and angry. That anger and resentment can feel and become intoxicating. We feel justified in our position. We feel right. We've been wronged. We've been hurt. But holding on to these negative feelings in our partnerships keeps us stuck. You may have heard that Dr. Asherina Reem and I held a live workshop on resentment. And if you wanted to sign up and didn't, this is your sign to snag the replay while it is available. In this workshop, we cover how this resentment develops in your relationship, other common patterns and cycles that can play out in our partnerships. You learn about your communication style and how to communicate in productive ways. And we share many practical tools for dividing out the load and talking about the invisible and mental load within your relationship and partnership. If you were unsure, if you couldn't make the live event, do not stress. This is your chance to get immediate access to the replay of our workshop. Head to happyasamother.co slash resentment. Welcome to the Happy as a Mother podcast, where we are dedicated to helping you cope with the load of motherhood. I'm your host and registered psychotherapist, Erica Jossa. Let's work together in letting go of shame and guilt, accepting where we are in our journey, and moving towards becoming the women we want to be. We will hear from experts, learn practical tips, and listen in on honest conversations. Please note that the information shared in this podcast is for educational purposes only and should not replace the advice of your healthcare provider. Okay, let's dive in. Dr. Jen, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us on the podcast today. 
between momming and pandemicing and professional life and all of the social media you carry, I'm always so appreciative to those who prioritize us and make time in their schedule to be here with uh, my audience. So thank you. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me, Erica. I love your platform. I love what you're doing for moms and parents out there. So when you asked, I was like, yes, let's just find a time to make it work. I love it. And I appreciate it. I love to ask, and I always start interviews this way, on how in the heck you came to specialize in your specialty. But I think more so with you, how did you get into like the TikTok digital, like TikTok doc, I like to call it, right? This like digital space um, in your profession. Yeah. What? That's not totally normal. We don't, we don't all do that. No. Right. It's not like taught in our degrees to just like also enter the TikTok space. (laughs) If you told me in residency, this was part of how I'd be using my medical degree, I would have said you're absolutely insane. But yet here I am. And it's just one of those things where I love what I do. Nothing will ever replace bedside medicine and and actually interacting with people one-on-one. But I've always loved to write. I love to communicate and using Instagram professionally to put out good information, to connect with people, including other people in healthcare was super fulfilling. And then I resisted on TikTok. I saw other doctors on there and I said, that's good for you, but I'm not doing that. And they kept saying, Jen, hello, your whole audience is here, you know, younger people. There's so much misinformation here. And I popped on and I saw it and I thought, all right, I'll try. And it just took off with my first one, getting over a million views overnight. And I thought, wow, are you serious? This is what I have to do now. Yeah. So the good news is I promise my audience I will not try to do any trendy dances or anything like that because I don't want to make their day worse. <laughs> I will only educate. <laughs> That's um, hilarious. So yeah. I'm with you. I'm feeling that pull. Yeah. I'm feeling that pull into TikTok too. I'm feeling it and You're I'm resisting because I'm just not a good dancer. I don't really want, no. like, do people really want to see my face in these videos? But it's not about me. It's about the information that you provide to people that yeah. they don't have access to. Or yeah. And you can do it without the dancing. I'm proof. I'm proof. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Hope for me one day. Hope for me. Yeah, That's amazing. Yes. We're here today to talk about a really, I don't know, a dare I say controversial topic. I, it reminds me of a funny message I got where I included, I do weekend polls in my stories mm-hmm. and a lot of comments come in and questions come in about the use of cannabis during postpartum period, while nursing, while pregnant. Mm-hmm. I'm not equipped to speak to those and that's why we're here today. But I will share them sometimes in polls. Any other like cannabis moms out there or any other moms use CBD oil? And then I'll get messages like, I'm unfollowing you because of your discussions <laughs> about cannabis in your, yes. you know, polls. So I say somewhat controversial because at least here it's legalized, mm-hmm. but I know in a lot of the states it's not. And so there is some stigma mm-hmm. and there is some controversy that can come out of this topic. But I wanted to come at it with you from a really data-driven professional perspective when we're talking about pregnant women, even if we back it up to like trying to conceive and and pregnant and in the postpartum period, Mm -hmm. what the maybe little data we might say has to say and guide us in the use of some of these substances. So are we up for that big conversation today? (laughs) Yeah, totally. And because here's the thing too about it, people saying they're unfollowing you. Discussing it doesn't mean that you're promoting it. It just means you're promoting the discussion of it. Yeah. And people are using these substances. So like, let's help people make informed choices with, like you said, the little data that we have. Yeah. And then we're all grownups here and you can decide what you're going to do. So yeah, let's do it. Yeah. And as professionals, I think we understand that when it comes to our clients and when it comes to the people that we work with, it actually has nothing to do with our values and our decisions. Yeah. It has everything to do with providing them with the information they need 
to make the best decision for them, our values, our religious beliefs, our whatever aside. And that's something that we learn to do in our training is mm-hmm. we have to, you know, as best as we can and we're human and yep. and whatnot, but it's about our client and the person we're treating. So yes. Love yeah. That. Oh my gosh. I put a call out in stories last night, like where to even begin? Cause there was like lots of questions <laughs> that came in. But I think that one of the places that we have probably the most data on, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, is maybe we can start with alcohol and the consumption of alcohol in pregnancy and then in postpartum and nursing, because I know that Mm -hmm. those are two different things. And I believe I had Emily Oster on, an amazing author, a couple of episodes ago, and she was discussing how the CDC had put out a recommendation that women of childbearing age, just generally speaking, should not consume alcohol. And so it feels like we get these extremes in mm-hmm. terms of advice. Yes. Right? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm curious yeah. yeah, what the data has to say or how you approach it with clients. Yeah. Well, I think like you said, you have, you have to break it up because pregnancy and breastfeeding are two entirely different states, which seems obvious, but sometimes that message gets lost. Yeah. And in terms of the physiological effect of alcohol on a baby, whether we're talking about a fetus in utero or a breastfeeding baby, two totally different things. And I do think the CDC is one a little cuckoo with the, you know, don't drink in case you could ever get pregnant because here's another fun little burden that we're putting on people with a uterus. And that's a bit extreme. Yeah. What if we actually talked about how to responsibly not get pregnant if you didn't want to? And if you're trying to conceive or you are pregnant, let's, you know, separate those into two different baskets because it's important. And with most people, you know, with so many unintended pregnancies, especially in the United States, about half, Mm -hmm. we need to, instead of just making silly recommendations. So anyway, so yeah. And I do say that my opinion on this has changed over time because like you said, I'm not here to tell you what to do or what not to do. Mm -hmm. However, it is important for me as a clinician, as somebody who cares for people to tell you what we know, what we don't know. And if you want to be the safest, then you're not going to be drinking alcohol while you're trying to conceive or when you're pregnant. And that's something that I found people get really emotional about. Yeah. And my stance used to be probably a glass here or there isn't that big of a deal. But truly what we know about fetal alcohol spectrum disorder is a spectrum. Mm. And there is no safe level of alcohol that we know about. And again, if you've had an episode of binge drinking before you knew you were pregnant, is that a reason that we recommend that you end the pregnancy or that now things are so high risk? Absolutely not. Right. In fact, studies support that in people, there was a study out of Denmark that people who had an episode of binge drinking had no higher risk of things. And that's because at that point, before you know you're pregnant, it's an all or none phenomenon. You're either going to continue the pregnancy and be okay, or if the alcohol had that much of an effect, potentially could lead to a miscarriage, but it's not an ongoing issue with a single episode. Now, the more you drink, obviously your risks are higher. Mm-hmm. And we know that fetal alcohol spectrum disorder, it affects tons of kids. And it's something that is entirely preventable. Right. And not just that, but we know that alcohol consumption puts you at risk for other things in pregnancy, such as preterm birth, low birth weight, that kind of thing. So I think it's important to have that discussion with people. And then they'll, you know, if they say, well, what about one glass of wine? What I say is I can't say what's safe, but what we do know is that alcohol does not help with development. And if you want to have no risk, then you're not going to consume any alcohol. Mm-hmm. But this is a thing where I would never say, I'm going to, you know, should people be prosecuted or that's, I mean, that's a whole other thing. And now living in the United States after what happened in Texas the other day, gosh, who knows? But I believe in informed decision-making. Right. For sure. Yeah. And and in terms of pregnancy and from, I guess, a, a therapist or like a mental health perspective, I would be exploring with a client 
in therapy, like, okay, you know, why, maybe why is this of such importance mm-hmm. or what can we do to replace this level of fun? Like, are we at parties and we're feeling left out? Yes. And I would be coming up with a, not a safety plan, but like a derivative yeah. plan for when we're in these social situations, how we can be included and not excluded. Is it about feeling acceptance? Is it about feeling like we need a glass of wine to cope? Like there's so many reasons why one might feel like they want to drink alcohol and and I might explore what that reason truly is. And and is there another vehicle or means of getting there while we're pregnant to help us still feel like we're maintaining some sense of our self and identity? Because you know, when we get pregnant and when we get into motherhood, it feels like we're just like giving up so many pieces of ourselves. Mm-hmm. So how mm-hmm. can we hold on to those pieces, but in ways that maybe are less risk, right? I love that. And I mean, we're seeing alcohol consumption has gone up during the pandemic, which yeah. sadly makes sense. We are desperate and we're trying to cope. So what can we do to replace that with something else that might be a better choice while you're trying to conceive or pregnant? And I love getting to the root cause of it. Yeah. In terms of breastfeeding, and now we're talking about a different, maybe you can actually give a little bit of a difference. Like, cause in pregnancy, we're measuring how much of the alcohol is actually passing through to the baby. And then when we're talking breastfeeding, we're talking something different, right? Absolutely. So when we're talking about breastfeeding, we're talking about, um, it's not like the dose that the person is drinking is the exact dose that that baby is consuming. Only a small percentage gets into the bloodstream and then transfers into the milk. And so lots of people have been told if you're breastfeeding, you shouldn't drink at all. And that's a bit more restrictive than what it needs to be for sure. So what I counsel patients is that if you are sober enough to hold your baby, you're sober enough to nurse because your body is physiologically not under the effects of alcohol if you're feeling sober enough to do those things. And it's not like you need to then pump and dump because just as your body metabolizes the alcohol, same thing in your milk. So it's not like it's quote unquote sitting in there and building up. That has been a major myth, right? A major yes. myth and misconception is the pumping and dumping. It's a huge myth. Pumping and dumping almost 99 times out of 100 when somebody tells you that you don't have to. Yeah. <laughs> but we we do that because heaven forbid, we actually look into what we need to say and there's medical legal risks, and it's just easier to tell somebody that than to actually do the research, which is super paternalistic and unfortunate. And I will say, um, when we're talking about preterm infants or medically fragile infants, that's a different story, and you're going to want to talk to your healthcare provider. But for the full-term healthy nursing baby, if you're sober enough to drive a car and hold your baby, you're sober enough to nurse. This is the thing about doing tests and having data in nursing and breastfeeding versus in pregnancy is that mm-hmm. we can ingest alcohol and test our breast milk and collect data in a way that is not having implications on baby because we don't have to give it to the baby. So there's more sort of research and data there to suggest the levels that are actually present in our breast milk. And there's just more research there, generally speaking. So the concern being about like how intoxicated we are and more about being able to provide care for our infant And also when it comes to like safe sleeping arrangements and not falling asleep with infant like on a couch or like Mm -hmm. these types of Mm -hmm. pieces that become the concern when we're consuming alcohol. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Although I will say the one caveat with those breast milk testing strips is that they are very um, variable and not that accurate. So I actually recommend against using those. And 
until we know what correlates better, you know, because a level for somebody might not mean the same thing for somebody else. And so I don't recommend those. I recommend just kind of going based on your symptoms. But like you said, it's not just about the milk. It's about can you care? Can you do safe sleep? Can you parent your child in other ways? Could like could not agree more. Wait, are there actually home strips for that purpose? Oh, yes. Is that what you're yes, saying? Yes, there are. Yes, they're oh. usually located next to the cocaine test strips in pharmacies, which I find really an interesting product placement. Oh my God. <laughs> but yeah, you can. You can purchase them online and you can purchase them in grocery stores and whatnot. Yeah. There's your fun fact for the day. <laughs> oh, there we go. I, I did not know there was such a thing. I know that we've done like research and tests. I did not know there was like home tests, but there yeah. we go. Oh, yes. Yes. Yeah. No, and I think that's right because that's a really big question that comes in. And I know that when we're navigating new motherhood and we're in postpartum and we've been without a drink or maybe a glass of wine at a social event or whatever for so long, there's a lot of anxiety and a lot of guilt and feelings about wanting to make the right decision in those moments. So mm-hmm. having an understanding the data and the facts, I feel yeah. like it's always such a reassuring piece for new totally. and or postpartum moms. So yeah. Absolutely. So uh, moving into the maybe more controversial, it's funny because we're going to talk about CBD and we're going to talk about cannabis, Mm -hmm. or maybe we even talk about like CBD versus THC, or I don't know how we want to lay it out. But I just have to say, it makes me kind of chuckle a little bit because I'm feeling like CBD has become like the new breast milk where like you just, you put that, you know, you put that ish on everything like Frank's hot sauce and it makes it all better. You know? <laughs> I like I just it. feel like yeah, it's true. If I have an ailment, yeah. it's like right now I'm I'm a little congested. I'm suffering a cold. Maybe I should take some CBD oil. <laughs> Maybe yeah. it would help me with that. And I feel like when we have these new things that emerge, they kind of get this like, like they have this like magical. Yep you know, power to them that they can fix so many things. But you're not wrong. You are 10,000% right because it's the latest essential oil. It's the latest breast milk. Hell, it's the latest ivermectin for COVID. People think that this stuff is magical and Mm. CBD, yeah, it's been marketed for everything. And that's what happens when you've got a new exciting thing, which may have some great potential properties. It totally might. Yeah. But when you're not regulated by the FDA, you're marketed as a supplement and people want options and companies want to make money. This is what happens. It's the same thing in like the feminine hygiene industry and all this stuff. It's, you know, it's, it's a bit much because then I think it takes away from the real potential that it could have and the thoughtful use of some of these things. Yeah, because there might be some very true effective uses for it. In terms of pregnancy and nursing, what do we know about CBD? Mm -hmm. I don't know if it's oils or gummy or what forms Mm -hmm. it comes in, but what do we know about that in terms of these stages of our life? So I think it's important, like you kind of alluded to, CBD and THC, two different things. Mm -hmm. CBD is what's found in cannabis that has more of the, you know, relaxation effects, potentially pain control, not the psychotropic, quote unquote, getting high effects, which is what THC has. So two different substances and why you might be seeing CBD stuff on your shelves and not next to, you know, marijuana plants or anything like that. Right. So we have very little data for sure. This is a newer thing. We have not that much data at all. What we do know is that it's not well regulated. And something I found super interesting 
slash kind of unnerving what I was reading up on this last night is that one study that showed that one in five CBD products do actually have THC in them when they're tested. So they Mm. claim that they don't, but they actually do. And to me, that's more concerning, especially from a pregnancy and breastfeeding standpoint where you are trying to not expose your baby in utero, or you're trying to parent or drive a car or these other things. And you think that you're not exposed. So this is one of those things where we say we do not recommend use in pregnancy and breastfeeding because of the lack of data. And I am sure you're going to hit on this, getting to the root of why somebody wants to use it, because people will use it for anxiety, for insomnia, for pain. Mm -hmm. So the why and how can we help you in a different way that we have more data on? A lot of times when I say that, people push back and say, well, the reason we don't is because big pharma won't fund these studies and I don't want to take something else that's just like a drug. And I hear you. Yeah. The alternative isn't always a medicine or a drug. Maybe it's therapy or exercise or counseling or better sleep. However, it is important to understand that things like Tylenol and other medications, they are regulated. We know the doses. We know what's in them, what's not. And you don't have to love big pharma. I sure as heck don't. But I do love being held to a certain standard. And when you're talking about pregnancy and breastfeeding, I think it's even more important. One of the most relentless mental loads is being the juggler of medical appointments. Researching doctors, reading reviews, making phone calls to book appointments, it's a lot of stress when you're already juggling so much invisible labor. That's what makes ZocDoc great for moms. ZocDoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare hundreds of types of highly rated in-network doctors, including mental health providers, and instantly book appointments with them online. ZocDoc has doctors of all specialties, including therapists, psychiatrists, and psychologists with verified patient reviews so you can make sure they check all your boxes. You can find mental health providers who offer in-person appointments, virtual consults, or both, whatever works for you. The typical wait time to see a mental health provider booked on ZocDoc is just four days. Sometimes you can even book same-day appointments. Make juggling appointments easier with ZocDoc. Go to ZocDoc.com momwell and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated therapist, psychiatrist, or psychologist today. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C.com momwell. ZocDoc.com momwell. Mealtime with kids can be stressful, but with Factors Delicious ready-to-eat meals, it can be a lot easier. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. No worrying about ingredients and nutrition, no prep, no mess, and no cooking while wrangling toddlers. Choose from a weekly menu of 35 options, including popular options like Calorie Smart, Keto, Protein Plus, or vegan and veggie. Also discover more than 60 add-ons every week, like breakfast, on-the-go lunch, snacks, and beverages to help you stay fueled and feel good all day long. What are you waiting for? Get started today and fuel up for your springtime goals. Factor can even be tailored to your schedule. Customize your weekly meals with the flexibility to get as much or as little as you need. Pause or reschedule deliveries to suit your lifestyle. Take the stress out of meals with Factor. Head to factormeals.com slash momwell50 and use code momwell50 to get 50% off your first box. Want to get smarter about your health but feel overwhelmed trying to separate fact from fiction? 
We hear a lot about gut health, microbiomes, and other nutrition topics, but taking the time to research these is exhausting, and there's a lot of misinformation out there. The Zoe Science and Nutrition Podcast makes it so much easier to get the information you need. With the help of world-leading scientists, the podcast gives you research-based information so you can make informed choices for yourself without pressure and guilt. People are loving Zoe Science and Nutrition. Listener Stephanie's Apple Review says the Zoe Science and Nutrition Podcast is a life-changing, science-based, myth-busting podcast. That's a must-listen for anyone who eats food and wants to understand how it affects their body. With the Zoe Science and Nutrition Podcast, you can join Stephanie and millions of others accessing quality information about their health. Find it wherever you listen to podcasts. There is a real reaction even that I've experienced talking about medications or even having gotten vaccinated, just so celebratory and sharing this experience. Like I was so relieved to have this vaccine. Mm -hmm. A lot of like, you must have been paid by Big Pharma to share this on your page. And a lot of, I don't know if it's conspiracy theories or or Mm -hmm. what it is, but yeah. There's just a lot of misinformation and I would love to know where my checks are being sent because I've not seen them yet from Big Pharma, but I hope that they show up one day soon because apparently it's happening. (laughs) (laughs) Right. But the piece of it is like, for example, anxiety. And I'm in the maternal mental health space. So anxiety is like a really prevalent discussion that I'm constantly having with clients. And there is a real uh, maybe stigma around taking like a Zoloft or, um, you know, Ciprolex Mm -hmm. or something along those lines, SSRI for treating anxiety or depression in pregnancy or postpartum. And there's a real strong, whether it's a value or belief to want to stay away from medicine, Mm -hmm. quote unquote, I don't know. Mm -hmm. And then something about CBD or cannabis seems like a natural alternative. And I think like essential oils, I kind of group them into this conversation. It feels like a natural alternative that isn't a medication that is just like a money pushing industry Mm -hmm. kind of thing. Yeah. And it's this idea that you're you're covering something up with medication, but with these other things, you're you're naturally treating it. I totally agree. It's right. like they've been put into two different camps, and one has been seen as unacceptable, and one seems completely acceptable, and has almost been given a complete pass. Right? Like we don't need data on this. Right. We don't need, and it's because it's natural. It's natural, so it can't hurt me. Is sort of so the, is cocaine. Right. You know? Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, like, does natural mean better? I guess is a really good question. Like. Mm-hmm. Like if I wanted to go the natural route, are there side effects to that? Could that be dangerous mm-hmm. for me in my pregnancy or postpartum? Or or are there no dangers yeah. associated with that? What are your thoughts? I mean, natural does not mean better. I feel like if there was one thing I could get across, it would be that. Because the sun is natural and yeah. it can give you skin cancer. Water is natural and you can die from drinking too much of that. Yeah, The dose makes the poison. The reason you're using it matters. And... I mean, COVID's natural and people are dying from that too. So we need to separate those out. And I'm not here to say just because something is natural that I automatically hate it or that it's bad or I don't like it because I don't make money from it because that's not at all the case. And there's lots of, you know, natural things that we've incorporated into medicine. I mean, penicillin is a mold, right? Like we do lots of stuff um, that is natural. We tend to want to make sure that we study it in a way that works. We want to make sure that it works. You're not wasting your time and your money. The cure isn't worse than what you're trying to fix and that we are objectively using something that we know can help 
and is what it says it is. And we're not directly profiting off of it in a way that a lot of these natural companies, quite frankly, are. So that's a big red flag when people are selling you things directly. You might think, well, doctors do that. You don't. When I write a birth control prescription, I don't get a kickback. And that's easily found on the internet, you can see. So sometimes I think it's a lot of miscommunication, misunderstanding. And it's not to say that Western medicine isn't at fault because we are, because we're very sterile. We don't have a lot of time and appointments. I can see the pull of things that are quote unquote natural or holistic. I totally get it. But it doesn't mean that you throw the baby out with the bathwater. Right. Right. And as somebody who is not a prescriber and is in a health space, mm-hmm. I'm really looking for things that are like safe and effective and mm-hmm. have scientific backing, right. you know? And so that can be an array of things. And not that I'm in a position to prescribe, but I'm always looking to have these conversations to understand the data. Exactly. Because if the data is that CBD oil is a really effective anxiety treatment. That's amazing. Yes, absolutely. You know, we have an additional tool in our tool belt, right? Absolutely. Because you look at medical marijuana, right? Yeah. For cancer patients, for the medicines that you can take that have that the properties without smoking marijuana versus you could also do that as well. But we see that it, it helps. So yeah, we, we will be accepting of these things when we have the data. Absolutely. I want yeah. more tools. Trust me. I want them. <laughs> of course. So you alluded to CBD and THC being very different and THC Mm -hmm. potentially having different impacts. Can we dive into that a little bit? Let's do it because it matters. And like you said, it tends to be kind of controversial, especially as here in the United States, more and more states are legalizing it. We're seeing a lot more people using it. And then we're seeing the flip side of hospitals saying, what do I do with this information? Can I, Mm. you know, let this patient breastfeed? What do I do? So it's still emerging for sure. But a recent study showed that about 18% of pregnant people are using marijuana in pregnancy. That's a huge number. That's huge. That's almost like a one in five, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's a lot. So, so yeah, we do need to be talking about it for sure. Because if we don't, Mm -hmm. we're just putting our heads in the sand. We know that THC crosses the placenta. So once again, just like with alcohol, my feelings and backed up by data is that use in pregnancy is very different from use in breastfeeding. And we'll talk about pregnancy first. We are getting more and more data out to show that marijuana usage in pregnancy is not a good thing. And not all of it is fantastic data because it can be really hard. There's a lot of confounders. We're having a hard time sometimes when we study a population to say, is it the marijuana that they're smoking that's leading to low birth weight, for example? Or is it smoking cigarettes or alcohol, because sometimes in these groups, more things are present than just one single substance. And as you can imagine, you can't sign up pregnant people for a study and have them use marijuana and do a randomized trial. It's just never going to happen. Yeah. The reason our data is also limited is because there's been the fear of litigation. So many pregnant people are not about to sign up for a study where they disclose that they're using marijuana when it's either been illegal in their state or they live in a state where they could potentially be prosecuted for it. Mm. So the main person who's studying it is Thomas Hale out of Texas Tech, and he runs Infant Risk Center. And that's a great resource to give to your followers because it's a wonderful resource for all things in breastfeeding. And he is sort of the leader when it comes to drugs and supplements in breastfeeding. He studies this. And he tells a story of how he ran a study out of Colorado because it was legal there. (laughs) And he bought a burner phone so he could contact these patients. And they set up these anonymous drops where they would drop off their breast milk. These were breastfeeding people. And it's this hilarious story, but he's trying to understand the kinetics of it. 
but this is why we don't have much data because it's really hard to get it. Right. But we're having more studies, especially in pregnancy, that show that it's not great. So we're showing issues with babies who were exposed in utero, growing up as kids, lower score on tests when it comes to visual problem solving, lower um, abilities in visual motor coordination, visual analysis, a reduction in long and short-term memory retrieval, reduced head circumference in young adolescents like ages 9 to 12 who were exposed when they were in the womb, and increased risks of motor, social, and cognitive disturbances in kids who were then exposed in utero. So it's not a great thing. And I've previously written on this topic, and the anger that I got in discussing this was enormous. People saying Mm. that these are lies, these studies aren't good, and we are not helping pregnant people by, by saying this because it's natural and this is something that's been used for many years. And I hear you that these studies aren't great. However, when we are talking about risk benefits here, we have to go back to the root cause. Why are you smoking marijuana in pregnancy? Is it because of your terrible nausea? I hear you. Let's talk about treatments. We've got much better ones. Is it because you're super anxious? Let's figure out how we can manage that. Mm. And then we can have an informed discussion. So yeah, it's not a great thing to do if you're pregnant. And if you are, I also believe in meeting people where they're at and saying, okay, can we maybe decrease it a little bit? Just like with smoking and doing it in a judgmental free way, because there's no room for judgment. Now, some people may say, I'm unfollowing you, or that's ridiculous. How can you harm your baby? Well, a lot of us aren't perfect, right? You might say that you should never eat McDonald's in pregnancy. You might say whatever, but you got to walk a mile in people's shoes and meet them where they're at. Yeah. It's hard. It reminds me of a conversation that I had with a friend of mine, and I am I might butcher this name, hypodermis something really bad. She was throwing up like multiple times a day. Oh, hyperemesis gravidarum. Yes. It's Thank terrible. You. It's terrible. Oh. Yes. And she was like, you know, constantly on IV and just so, so sick. And one of mm-hmm. the only things that in the community that she was constantly being told is like, well, mm-hmm. smoking pot or CBD oil help with the nausea and mm-hmm. help you keep food down or keep, you know, things like mm-hmm. that. And so some of these situations, I feel like we might think just somebody who wants to hold on to their smoking pot. I don't know what it is, mm-hmm. right? Like, But there are many situations in which these conversations come about in my friendships and in my therapy sessions where, mm-hmm. again, like you're saying, we're faced with real conversations to weigh that risk and see if there are alternatives and what is the lesser of the evil and things like that. Right. And I appreciate you saying, if it is anxiety – well, here, let's look at the whole array of options. I don't want to take something from you that's going to leave you paralyzed in anxiety and having panic attacks. Like that's mm-hmm. not the goal here. Right. The goal is to have you functioning and also ingesting things that are like the least risk as possible. Like how do we try and formulate a plan together that it's a win-win in a way or as much as possible? Absolutely. And it's hard too now as marijuana becomes more legal, it seems more acceptable. And so I can understand. And like you said, If you're telling me that this is the only way that you can function or that you used to use methamphetamines and now you're only using marijuana, I'm going to celebrate that with you. Right. And there might be some people listening to this who get really angry at me for saying that. But like I said, walk a mile in people's shoes in a perfect world. I don't want you smoking marijuana in pregnancy, but I also want you to feel that you can still tell me about it without fear of being judged or repercussions. Because at the end of the day, we want the healthiest pregnancy for you and your baby not just physically, but also mentally. Right. Right. Yeah. And I think that's some real psychoeducation around like you're explaining the THC crossing the barrier and potentially having impacts. 
in terms of, let's say, pain medications or other common medications, I'm thinking mm-hmm. that this is probably used often, and maybe this is just an assumption of mine for pain and chronic pain and nausea and or anxiety. Like those are probably some of the most common uses. Mm-hmm. And do we have data and studies that talk about these other alternatives, like the pain medications and the anxiety medications mm-hmm. that do illustrate that they are of less risk? Yeah, we do because we have better studies. We have studies in way more people. We have more long-term data. We absolutely do. Yeah. But like you said, you have to acknowledge that, yes, other medications you're taking will cross the placenta too. So it's not like, let's just scare people with that when we talk about THC because everything does. Yeah. But to what degree and what effect does it have? Absolutely. And that crosses over into breastfeeding too, because when we tell people, well, marijuana and THC does get into your breast milk, it does. Right. It absolutely does. Right. We know that it's stored in fat tissues at higher levels, but it's actually pretty low dose. And then you take into the account that the nursing baby absorbs is even lower. And according to the data that Thomas Hale has, about 9% of the maternal dose of THC will get into the milk. And the baby only absorbs about 1% of that. So thankfully, it's very low, but it's still there. And so this is, again, about informed decision-making. And likely, it's low risk to smoke marijuana when you're breastfeeding. And it's definitely lower risk than if you are exposing a fetus in utero. Can I tell you that there's no risk? No, I cannot. And can I tell you that we've got long-term information? No, I can't. Right. But we do need to take into account the other issues of all the other substances that tend to be present in marijuana Mm. and you don't always know. And we know that inhaling that's not great for your lungs and the secondhand smoke is a carcinogen. And are you able to interact with your kiddo and do all the safe things like we talked about with alcohol? So I am not promoting it at all. Right. But I really think that when we talk about breastfeeding and marijuana use, I do not think you should tell people if you smoke marijuana, you should not breastfeed. Unless we're talking about potentially medically fragile preterm infants. Right, right. Because the risks of recommending that they stop breastfeeding to me and and to most pediatricians and lactation consultants is way higher than breastfeeding with, you know, with marijuana. And again, how can you do this? Can you cut back? Can you wait a few hours after nursing? So I think that there's ways to do it. And the reason this is so important, Erica, is because in some hospitals, they are having policies where if you have a urine drug screen in pregnancy, that is positive for marijuana, they will not allow you to breastfeed, which means that they won't offer lactation support. Stop no, legit. It. You know, we, we love to regulate. We just love to regulate things here in the U.S. We just love to take away choice. And so... My and it's word. Insane. And again, it depends where you are. Yeah. Like luckily, with the hospital I practice at, that's not the case mm. because we have thought through what this means. And also a positive urine drug screen, you could have used marijuana three or four weeks ago. And depending on how much you use, it could still show up in your urine drug screen, but that's clinically useless for the here and the now. And so that's ridiculous. Or using it as a reason to call social services is ridiculous. And when you put these things in place, patients are going to lie to you. I would too. Or they're not going to seek care or seek help because Mm. they're too afraid that Mm -hmm. their baby's going to get taken from them. And it's completely a valid feeling. And especially when you're talking about black and brown birthing people, I 100% think this puts up unnecessary roadblocks. Are you angry yet? (laughs) I can't even tell you the rage that burns inside of me when I hear things like when we're talking, making decisions for Uh our reproductive rights, like what's going on in Texas or, you know, how we parent and we are like putting policies in place. Yeah. It feels Um, good. It feels real good. I can't. That's a whole (laughs) conversation for another day. 
So here in Toronto area, like in Ontario, I don't even know about the rest of the country, but I know Ontario, Mm -hmm. marijuana usage has been legalized and therefore the stigma around it is shifting. Mm -hmm. And the regulations around how it's being produced Mm -hmm. is also shifting. So there is some level of consistency expected for this like mass production and sell of marijuana. So when you're talking about maybe in areas where it's unregulated and we don't necessarily know what is in our marijuana that we're smoking and nursing, Mm -hmm. that sounds concerning. Like, you know, what other potential drugs or what other things could be mixed in or other Mm -hmm. substances. Like we don't really know. There is no clear way of knowing versus somewhere where maybe it is more like legalized and there is more of like a streamlined process that can make sure and check for Mm -hmm. other substances and things. So it's a big conversation. There's a lot of variables involved in it and there's a lot of stigma. And I think that that's one of the reasons why I really felt it important to have this conversation today is I've received so many messages. Mm -hmm. I can't even count from how many women say that, you know, I feel so much shame or I feel so guilty Mm -hmm. and so stigmatized for being like a canna mom or like whatever title we might use for smoking marijuana and breastfeeding and how it's used responsibly for them or, you know, it's not this like dark thing for them. So I think that if we were to have a couple of like critical questions that maybe we would ask ourselves when we become curious about our usage of marijuana in breastfeeding, Mm -hmm. it might be something along the lines of why am I using this, right? And is there maybe like a safer alternative or safer way as you had said, Mm -hmm. is there a way to decrease the frequency or adjust the usage around nursing and and breastfeeding times? Where is the source of this marijuana coming from? Can I be certain that it's, I don't know, clean is a word that we might use in this situation, but, you know, not laced with other things? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's just about understanding risk benefits as opposed to just like in the U.S., you know, abstinence only sex education. That would be awesome. Totally. Totally would love it that you don't have sex until you're totally ready for whatever. But we need to be realists. Same thing with this. And people should not feel ashamed. And the best way that we can help you is by knowing exactly what's going on. And if you need other supports, because we should be here to partner. And it's a really tough spot, especially in the birthing world where women and people with uterus often feel that they are being treated as a vessel Mm. and in a paternalistic system that doesn't hear them. And so I want people to know that we hear you and I'm hoping that we do work to destigmatize these things while putting more money to fund these things and to learn about them. Because if some of these things have benefits, we want to know about it. And it's not just to make money off of it. It's to keep everybody safe. Yeah. I so appreciate the advocacy that you do and the way that you use your voice and you show up online in many different platforms and soon to be in print, if I'm not mistaken. So tell us where we can find you and what you're up to these days. Oh, thanks, Erica. Yeah, I've got a book coming out September 14th, but you can pre-order it before that date. It's called Let's Talk About Down There. Um, And OBGYN answers all your burning questions without making you feel embarrassed for asking. And to me, that's the crux here is that we've got all these questions. I don't know about you. I grew up not knowing how my body worked. And I just don't think that's acceptable. And so think of it like my TikTok on paper, short, concise, question-based illustrations that are inclusive and diverse and representative of the real world and not just the one you see in magazines. And I'm super excited because if anything, with these kinds of conversations and what's going on right now with misinformation and 
regulation in a bad way, <laughs> not in right. a good way, but in a bad way in Texas, we need to be empowered. And the way that you do that is you know how your body works. So yeah, you can find me on TikTok and Instagram at Dr. Jennifer Lincoln and also on my YouTube and in my book. And I love getting to do this. And I love your platform too, because the way that you educate and you give people a safe space to show up. I wish that I knew about it when I had had my kiddos because it can be a lonely time. It can be a scary time. So it's important that we're there for these people. Yeah. Thank you. And we're going to make sure to link all of your social media stuff and where they can find your book in our show notes, in our blog post. Make sure to share this episode with a friend if this is, you know, relates to a conversation that you've had. Again, to reiterate that we're here to have conversations to help make informed decisions and that this is a safe and non-shaming environment because we don't know, you know, the circumstances of the life that you're living and we want you to be informed to make decisions and be able to have conversations around these burning (laughs) topics, as you said. So thank you so much for being the person to join me in this conversation today. Yeah. Thanks, Erica. I can't even begin to tell you how happy and honored I am that you choose to spend your time here with me each week. If you're looking for the resources and things that were discussed in today's show, you can find them in the show notes, which is linked in the episode description, or you can head directly to happyasamother.co slash podcast and find all of the show notes there. If you're looking for support and connection with other moms, you can head over to facebook.com slash groups slash happy as a mother and join our Facebook community. This community is filled with women just like you and I who want to support and uplift one another through our postpartum journey. And until next episode, mama, I want you to know, keep showing up. You're doing a great job. Settling is not an option for Everything me. I desire is already mine. What if you can have it all? <laughs> because every day is for the girls. Hello, hello. Welcome to For the Girls podcast, hosted by Victoria Alario, For the Girls Who Want More. Listening to For the Girls will have you ready to raise the bar, stop settling for the bare minimum, and start believing you can have it all and step into the 2.0 version of you. You can catch a new episode of For the Girls every Monday across all podcast platforms. Until next time, girls.